did not come on the 4th of July, even though we celebrated a little bit early, but it came the moment we gained knowledge of who Jesus was. So we all have our own individual Independence Day, for we've been freed, we've been separated from the things that have bound us. And I'm so thankful to God for the war that he fought in our behalf, that today and every day can be our Independence Day. We're just thankful to the Lord. I'm excited about what God is doing, and I just want to share a word with you. Um, and you can, uh, if you're taking notes, and, and I always encourage you, please, to take notes because uh, notes help you to go back. I know that a lot of times I move through this quickly, and I'm just trying to get as much information uh, that God has given me out to you. So I encourage you, go back, read. Um, the notes that you've taken, go back, rewatch the uh, sermons as uh, they're being uh, promoted on all of our varying um, platforms and uh, allow the Spirit of the Lord to talk to you, to minister to you as he chooses in reference to what he has shared with you because I believe that by God's grace that if you are watching this, whether it be today or during one of the rebroadcasts or you search our archives and you find it on your own, that this is what God intends for you to hear and to know to allow you to have everything you need to overcome the enemy in your life. Amen. And I just thank God for this opportunity to stand before you. Um, I consider it an honor and I'm humbled by God to stand before you to share his word of truth with you. So for those of you that are taking notes, that you take this, um, as they say in the world, series as a heart attack, um, you can use this as your title, Understanding Our Enemy's Tactics. Understanding Our Enemy's Tactics. And I'm going to be using today um, a foundational scripture. Anyone that's ever listened to me or watched me, you know I will be all over the Bible um, correlating some things between the Old and the New Testament and imparting what God has given me to you. But the foundation, uh, the foundational uh, text from today is going to be found in Matthew, the fourth chapter and the third verse. And it reads in the King James Version, Matthew 4 and 3, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now, over the last several weeks, you know, we've been talking about my amazement and hopefully uh, your amazement with God's Word. We've discussed many things concerning the impact that the Word of God can have in our lives if we apply what God has said. And I said to you last week that the most important of all the things that I've shared with you is not just having the information, but it is the application of that information in your life. Knowing something but not utilizing what you know can be devastating um, if you're looking to enjoy the abundant life that God promises. And as I continue to examine his amazing word, God is revealing more to me about the depth of what took place over the 40-day period that Jesus was engaged by the devil in the wilderness. 
Now, we cannot only learn how to recognize the tactics of the enemy, but we can learn how to be triumphant when the enemy comes in our lives, attacking us in our desert season. And I'm driven of God to proceed even deeper into this encounter because I feel God is revealing something to us which will bring true freedom or independence from the issues in many of our lives that we are facing right now. Amen. I also feel as, uh, that we as the people of God are moving into a position to wage our final war against the devil and his forces before God calls us home, before that moment that we in the body of Christ hear the trump of the Lord and rise up into the air and meet those that have gone before us and our Savior in the air and forever be with him. I believe that we are standing at the precipice of a, a great outpouring of God's spirit and a great move of God and God is preparing us for this fight. Now, many of us have been under great strain and feel as if uh, it's no longer worth it to continue with this fight. Uh, you look at everything that's going on in the world and it seems as if in the world uh, everyone's losing their mind from the way people behave even to our uh, economical standing, uh, the economy. I don't care who you listen to, anyone that's got you know any type of sense uh, understands that our economy is in trouble. Amen. We're paying way too much money for gas, and I'm not here to talk politics with you today, but uh, if you look at the way things are going, it's crazy. And even, and I've said this for years, even our system itself is built upon a broken uh, ideology. But that, that's a story for another day. This season in your life is really only the prelude to what God is preparing you for. It's during the prelude that the enemy wants to take you out before you're able to get your footing. When you are at the weakest and, and he is at his greatest uh, as he's engaging you. You see, he understands that if you ever truly begin to believe in the things that God has declared, you will find yourself to become an unstoppable, immovable force in God. And as I continue to examine the text, I find that there are some important facts that are revealed in Scripture about the devil. As a matter of fact, there are three main strategic plans described in the Word of God concerning the devil. And these strategic plans, you could write them down as the coming, the challenge, and the command. The coming... The challenge and the command. I just want to teach you something. I'm really going to try to refrain from preaching today because I want you to really grab a hold to this because when you uh, allow this to begin to, uh, to salivate, you salivate on it and, and it begins to soak into you, you'll be able to use the things that I'm telling you today to be successful in every confrontation you have with the enemy. He only has three main strategic plans or uh, strategic uh, path that he comes at, and, and that is the coming, the challenge, and the command. Now, the coming in uh, the, the tactics, the, the word of the Lord reads like this, the tempter came to him, this is the coming, 
Now the word came comes from the Greek word meaning to approach or to come near. And, and these few words detail the coming of the devil to tempt Jesus. Now there are three uh, facets of this coming which I want to examine which will illustrate some of the tendencies of the devil. They are first, uh, the certainty of his coming. Second, the character of his coming. And third, the circumstances in his coming. Now, the certainty of his coming, you, you can look at this as, uh, as the text says that Satan came to Christ to tempt Christ is really no surprise, as it should be no surprise to you when the devil comes knocking at your door to tempt you. Now, we are too often exposed and made vulnerable because we live without expectation of his coming. We act like and have bought into this idea that somehow, because now I'm in the fold of God, that I'm in the kingdom of, uh, of God's dear son, that now I'm untouchable. Honey, the moment that you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ is when the target on your life got even bigger. Amen. Now, Jesus knew something that we ought to learn extremely quickly. How fast? Quickly, with the quickness. And this is a, uh, the, a practice of the devil. Everyone will be visited by the devil. Amen. You see, he has, a, uh, he has quite the visitation program. Matter of fact, uh, his visitation program is better than some pastors that I know. But uh, that's a story for another day as well. He does not care that you have not given him an invitation. He doesn't care whether you want him there or not, whether you've invited him over or not. And unfortunately, uh, for some of us, we are uh, in a place where we seem to invite the enemy more often than we think we invite the enemy into our circle. Now, no one gets left out. Understand this. No one is exempt. Not even the Son of God was exempt when he was on the earth. Now, all of you goody-two-shoes people will be visited by the devil just as well as the worst of the people on the planet. Now, this mighty spirit who did not fear to attack Jesus himself is still going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That murderer and liar who vexed Job and overthrew David and Peter still lives today and is not yet bound. He is not tied up, but he is free to work his plan against the body. Now, he cannot rob us of heaven, but he will do everything that he can to make your journey in the earth as painful as he possibly can. Amen. He cannot destroy your soul, but he will do what he can to bruise your heels. Uh, too many in the body of Christ frequent dens of iniquities and other evil places which make it unnecessary for the devil to go visit you because you go visit him. Uh, too many in the body of Christ have gone to visit the devil in his territory, which only encourages a greater release of temptation and increase. You know, the chances that, you know, you will yield to the thing that the enemy is tossing at you, uh, the thing that you are testing. I, I often hear people in Christ say, I'm testing to see if I'm delivered. Honey, you better just believe you're delivered and stay away from the temptation. And this is why I constantly tell people in the body of Christ, uh, you know, there are simply places you should not go. 
and I can hear the declarations that they don't uh, see anything wrong with being there because they're not going to do anything and if you're not going to do anything then why do you need to be there is the question that I always ask back but we must learn not to so readily give in to the desires of our flesh to be in an environment which is unproductive I don't want to be anywhere where the propensity is for me to fail and not to produce anything that's lasting or beneficial in my life. I just want to have some fun or hang out with my friends. Some of us are going to follow our friends right into hell. So you keep hanging with them and you keep following them. Now that aside, you do not have to go to some evil place for the devil to tempt you. He will tempt you anywhere at any time. He doesn't have this, you know, limitation uh, like I know uh, in, in my training, in my secular job, there are times when we can go visit people and then there are times in our rules that say don't go to do certain things at, at certain times of the day because people are sleeping or you're interrupting them and, uh, and we want to be kinder and gentler. But you can count on the devil coming to visit you not when you want him to, but when he feels like it, you know, you know how we like that word, I feel like it. Uh, will the devil feel like it too? And he will come bother you when he feel like it, not when you feel like it. Now, temptation is as near as your next breath. So stop acting as if you are invisible and the devil can't see you. Amen. I, I believe the, the, the comedian said, uh, do you see me? Uh, yeah, I see you. And they go back and forth about how someone was acting as if they didn't uh, see them. And, and when you, you see the characters acting, it's like a load of laundry or it's a, a pile of dirty dishes in the sink. And they're talking to the homeowner. Did, did you see me? And they're acting like, no, I didn't. Uh, believe me, people of God, the devil sees you. Amen. The devil sees you and he wants to mess with you. Now, let me, let me just talk to you about the character of his coming. Hallelujah. The, the tempter is how Satan is described in Matthew in his coming to Christ. So the tempter, this is a characteristic. This reveals the character of the devil. This, uh, this is uh, how he's going to visit you. He's visited uh, you always with evil intent, always with the intent to corrupt or to seduce you into doing evil, to defile you. Why? Because your body is the temple of the living God. So if he can defile your body, you are defiling the house of God. He wants to ruin you, to get you to, to dishonor God and to disown your relationship with God. And when he comes, he will not, of course, introduce himself as the tempter. He's not knocking on the door and saying, hey, the tempter is here. You want to play? That's not really how he does it. He does not come in wearing a red suit and carrying a pitchfork. He, he does not give away his evil identity and purpose. Rather, he comes in an artful disguise which makes him appear very attractive and very nice. As a matter of fact, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter and the 14th verse, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. 
See, scripture eradicates the blinders to many uh, disguises of the devil. God's word clearly advertises the truth about who the devil is. So we, we don't have the excuse or, or, or the ability to act like we don't know who he is. Well, I, did, I didn't know that was the devil knocking on my door. I just saw someone knocking. I figured I'd let him in to be nice. Amen. But this is what 1 Peter 5 and 8 tells us. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You see, God's word is in the business of exposing the devil not disguising him so when Satan approached Adam and Eve in the garden he came disguised in the serpent which apparently was then a very beautiful creature for it was not yet under the curse but the Bible adds in Genesis 3 and 1 now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made now the Hebrew word uh, Aram is translated subtle and it means clever or prudent. So this identifies a character trait of the devil. The circumstances in his coming uh, involve him uh, being subtle or uh, being able to approach you in a manner that you should recognize who he is but oftentimes you do not. Now, Satan came to Christ for this first of the three great temptations when uh, Christ was in a harsh and barren wilderness as described in Matthew 4 and 1 and had not eaten in 40 days and 40 nights as uh, detailed in Matthew 4 and 2. And it's prudent of the devil to take advantage of our outward condition. Yes, the devil wants to expose every advantage that he has. Now, I explained uh, in a series that I was teaching about temptation years ago, uh, you know, the experience that Satan habitually attacks after a blessing or before a service. You know, when you feel like you're at your highest and you're in that place where, man, God has been blessing you and doors have been opening, honey, you better start looking out and being sober and vigilant because the devil wants to knock you off uh, of your blessing train. And, and oftentimes he'll come when you're in preparation to do a service for God. He wants to prevent you. He wants to cause you to feel like now you're not worthy. <laughs> I got some news for you. Every time the enemy comes at me with this tactic, I tell the devil, before you came telling me I wasn't worthy, I beat you to the punch. I already know I was not worthy for what God has called me to. But God didn't call me based on my worthiness he called me because he is worthy and I'm just so excited about it the devil don't like talking to me sometimes now now here in this first temptation of the devil to Jesus we learn of another time in which Satan often attacks namely in a time of great need in our lives Satan is an opportunist you ought to put that down in the notes or tweet that Satan is an opportunist he uses opportunities well, we often miss opportunities. We blow our opportunities. We, we miss what's going on. But the devil, he doesn't do that. Every opportunity that comes his way, he not only recognizes it, but he jumps on it and he levels it to the best and the most that he can get out of it. When we are down, he visits us or he comes to us, not to help us, but to hurt us. He likes to knock on our doors when our cupboards have become 
empty. He likes to visit us when we are in the sick room, when we are physically weak. He likes to come to us when deficiency describes our portion because it gives him an advantage in tempting us. His temptation is always to eliminate the deficiency, whatever the deficiency may be, and to eliminate it not God's way, but the devil's way. The devil wants to base our action and reactions upon our needs, not upon the will of God. I put out a couple of quotes this week on Facebook that basically boil down to these few words. It's not about you. It's all about God. You ought, matter of fact, you ought to write that down. It ain't about me. It's only about God. It ain't about me. It's only about God. Uh, but there's a challenge in the tactics that Satan prefaced uh, in this main temptation uh, with, with Jesus. The challenge was, if thou be the son of God. Now, this challenge shows that the devil is cunning and crafty, if not really wise. He does not come to Jesus and say at once, command that these stones be made bread but he begins this interlude with if thou be the son of God now this statement really is a two part challenge about the identity of Jesus the challenge involves both an insinuation of doubt and an introduction of pride uh, you see the devil uh, the desire of the devil is for you to get all puffed up in self uh, don't you know who I am well I'm about to show you who I am. The, the insinuation of, uh, of doubt, this, this doubt attack by uh, Satan in the temptation is really common with him. It's really an old world strategy of insinuating doubt which caused Eve to fall in the Garden of Eden. There's a twofold application that's being revealed in the text regarding uh, the devil's use of doubt to defeat Christ. And in, in this challenge, uh, uh, of Christ there's the doubt of the scriptures and the doubt of his sonship it's a doubt of knowing what he knows and a doubt of his identity if you think back over your life you'll realize that oftentimes when you have failed it has come through these same means it was a challenge about what you know and who you were and you're trying to prove what you know and prove who you are now the devil will always Always attack your identity and the power or the truth of God's word connected to your uh, your identity. So let me uh, just analyze this strategy of causing some doubt uh, in, in the word of God. At, at the conclusion of the baptism of Jesus, just before he's led out uh, into the wilderness by the spirit of God, you, you, the Bible declares that the voice of God had come from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If you don't believe me, read Matthew the third chapter and the 17th verse. He got baptized and he went out and before he goes out, uh, you, the, the, the sky cracked and a voice from heaven declared that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now Satan's challenge uh, attacked this statement of God. 
like every challenge that he does, it's always attacking something that God has said or declared in your life. Thus, it was an attack, not really on you, but it's an attack on the word of God. And this is an attack which is often hurled at us. Satan does not begin his attack on the Bible by saying right away that the Bible is untrue. Rather, he starts the attack by casting doubt on the authenticity of scripture. And once he has moved you into an arena of doubt, then he can move on until he has you denying what the word of God says entirely. Now, the devil wanted to get Christ doubting the word because it was the word which would defeat the devil. And if you doubt the word, you will not do well using the word to defeat your enemy. Now, secondly, I, I, I want to take a, a look at this strategy of causing doubt of sonship or uh, what I call the uh, doubt of identity. Satan's insinuation of doubt about the sonship of Christ is that in view of the present circumstances of Jesus, you know, his harsh surroundings and uh, being in the wilderness not having eaten for 40 days and 40 nights it certainly does not look like Jesus is the son of God. Now kings live in palaces not in huts. Royalty lives in affluence not in want. So what the devil was actually saying to Jesus was he should be questioning whether he really is the son of God or not because if he was the son of God who is the heir of all things how could he be in a dark dirty wilderness starving for food Satan wants to infuse doubt in your heart about your familiar ties to God which you have gained by the redemptive work of Jesus at Calvary 1 John 3 and 1 says behold what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Now if Satan tries to, to cast doubt in the mind of Christ about being the son of God you better believe he's going to try to get you to doubt your relationship as a son or daughter of God and if Satan cannot keep you from being saved he will try to get you to doubt your own salvation and if you begin to doubt your salvation you will not do well in the matter of temptation. Uh, as we see in this struggle between Jesus and the devil, uh, Satan um, uh, may also use circumstances such as the uh, prosperity of the unbeliever in contrast to your poverty to attack your identity of spiritual sonship. Psalm 73, 2 and 3 says, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Uh, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Outward afflictions, wants, and burdens are great arguments that the devil will use to make the people of God question their, son, their sonship or uh, their familial ties through the plan of redemption with God. How can God, seeing that I am in such a state, if I'm his son or if I'm his daughter, doesn't the Bible say if an evil man knows how to give good gifts unto his children, what more uh, than God being righteous know how to give good gifts unto uh, his children? Well, if God knows how to give good gifts 
unto his children and I'm suffering like I'm suffering, how in the world then am I the son or the daughter of God? You see, this is the, the ideology, the thinking that the enemy wants you to go down because doubt is a frequent part of temptation. It began in the Garden of Eden where doubt was part of the temptation for Eve and Adam. Uh, in Genesis 3 and 1, it starts with half God said. It begins to start that circle, that cycle of questioning in your mind. Was the question of doubt hurled at Eve? Uh, if Satan can get us uh, to the uh, on the ground of doubt, he has gotten us on shaky ground where it's very difficult to stand. And we defeat the devil with faith not with doubt for it is faith not doubt that overcomes the world if you don't believe me first john 5 and 4 you better check the text matter of fact let me help you out a minute first john 5 and 4 it says it just like this for whatsoever is born of god overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world even our faith uh, then there was uh, the introducing or the introduction of pride in this challenge this challenge statement by the devil which prefaced the temptation had more in mind than just doubt it also tries to in, induce or introduce into your life pride just as it did uh, trying to induce pride in Christ by focusing on his title the son of God now if you can get a person to focus upon their title you'll encourage pride in that person you see challenge a man's exalted identity and you can puff him up with pride flatter him with his high rank and man has a great tendency to become prideful Jesus had received very high praise from God himself and, and, and if he does not doubt what was said about the sonship in the praise then Satan will try to ruin him by trying to induce pride in Christ about the very identity he has no doubt of and once pride comes comes into the picture you become easy prey of the devil's temptation you see pride strips us of the ability to defeat temptation you want to know if somebody is dealing with pride issues when they talk to you and you talk to them and they constantly remind you of their title if all they talk about is their title because you chose not to use that title then they are dealing with an issue of pride in them uh, but Proverbs 16 and 18 tells me pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall pro, uh, pro, uh, proverb uh, 18 and 12 tells us uh, before destruction the heart of man is haughty and before honor is humility victory over evil requires much humility sacrifice and submission to God you see pride is not interested in any of these things but victory over evil requires humility sacrifice and submission it requires the HSS humility sacrifice and submission the very things that we struggle with doing now the command that's involved in this tactic I know I'm moving pretty quick but I want to get get this to you as much as I can I told you in the beginning go back check it again so you'll catch what you missed but the command in the tactics after the challenge regarding the identity of Jesus the devil moves on to the planned temptation 
temptation or the proposal of that temptation. And the temptation proposal which Satan gave Christ was command that these stones be uh, turned to bread or be made bread. And to examine the temptation to command the stones to become bread, you have to see some things that are going on. It's the prompting of the command itself. It's the proving involved in the command. And it is the appetite in the command. It's the pity that's involved in the command. It's the priority that's in the command. And it is the perversion in the command. And honey, I'm not going to be able to get through all these today to you for you. So I'm inviting you right now, just in case you miss uh, the invitation to be here this week. I'm inviting you right now to come back next week. So whatever I don't finish today, you best I'll hit you with next week. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. The prompting of the command. Why does Satan tempt Christ to command stones to be turned to bread? Seems, you know, kind of foolish. But the answer is that Christ had gone 40 days and 40 nights without eating. And he was, guess what? Living in a barren and hostile wilderness where there was no bread. Now, Satan would use this lack in the provisions of Christ as an opportunity to tempt Christ. And this probably sounds like a familiar circumstance in your life or something that you are now realizing the devil often comes when uh, your circumstances are very unattractive. And he endeavors to use your dire situation as a means to tempt you to sin. Satan loves to focus on our problems or on our situation, our lack, on our deficiencies to set us up for yield to the temptation he's getting ready to introduce. You see, the devil magnifies every deprivation and every discomfort, especially when it comes within the will of God. And any sacrifice or any belittling, uh, any loss that we have to suffer for the cause of Christ will be criticized by the devil and made to be a bad reflection on our faith and on our God. And the devil wants us to think that the will of God is a Against us then that it, it, it shortchanged us that it, it brings unneeded and unnecessary problems and uh, you know deficiencies into our life that it is cruel the, the word of God is mean and, and God is unfair and, and it's just not right he, he would have us to think that uh, you know all these different lies of God as if he were unkind or unfaithful or had some way forgotten uh, about those of us who have ventured, uh, you know, all the way throughout our lives with him and get us to ask God, do you see me here? Uh, I, I know I'm here, but do you see me here? Do you understand what I'm going through? Do you feel the pain that I feel? Ha, have you seen me in the midnight hour crying before you? Have you not heard me asking for your help? You see, the, the enemy will endeavor to bring about an idea uh, just like he did in Adam and Eve that God forbade them the tree of knowledge because he didn't want them to experience the benefit that it would bring. So to encourage us to yield to temptation the devil would uh, have us judge our relationship to our father and the father's relationship with us. Uh, you know it, we're judging this though through our outward and our temporal circumstances instead of by our inward and spiritual consciousness. So the 
idea that having an abundant supply of fading things constitutes a trustworthy standard by which we can determine the measure of God's interest or uh, care for us is really uh, at its core ludicrous. Uh, you know, when you base your relationship on how much stuff you have, honey, you don't understand what a relationship is. I love my wife and I'm in relationship with her, but if she's basing my love for her on what I can provide for her, then she married the wrong man because there's only so much I can give. And, and I, we have to understand that we don't base the level of our love or our connection based on trivial things that are going to fade away anyway. Uh, but let me move on. The proving in the command. You see, in this temptation, the devil implied that turning stones into bread would give proof that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. It's the language which says, if you are so great, then do something great. And this attitude was also seen at the cross when the mockers at Calvary said, as detailed in Matthew 27 and 40, and saying, thou, thou, uh, that destroyeth the temple and buildeth it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Uh, Matthew 27 and 42, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. The problem here in these calls for proof from Christ is that the criteria for proof is contrary to, to the will of God. Adequate proof has already been provided concerning the identity of Jesus. But the devil and unbelief will not uh, accept divine proof. Divine declarations such as the statement that God made uh, at the baptism of Christ about him being his son or, or, or divine confirmation. Uh, every proof offered by God will always be rejected by evil for evil is not characterized by faith but by unbelief. And what I have learned in those uh, who are inspired uh, by the devil will continually ask God to prove on their terms that he is God. Even in our present society, human, humanity is always giving God conditions to fulfill, to prove that he loves them or that he exists. The atheist Robert Ingersoll uh, in his lectures used to demand that God prove his existence by striking Lingersoll dead in a, in a stated five minute period of time at the close of, an, uh, of a lecture that he was giving. And when the five minutes were over, Ingersoll claimed that his still uh, being alive proved that God did not exist. The issue at hand is, is God did not have to prove his existence on Ingersoll's terms. You see, Ingersoll would not believe the proof already given. So the call for more proof only reflects unbelief and plenty of proof is already made available. And good for Ingersoll that God didn't prove it because Ingersoll would have found out when he opened his eyes in hell. But Acts 1 and 3 says to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Romans 5 and 8 says but God commandeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. You see mankind does not need any more proof. He simply needs faith. As a matter of fact you ought to put this down in the notes or in the comment section on Facebook tweet this out I don't
don't need proof of God. I need faith. And I'm so thankful to God that Jesus said in his word, I haven't prayed that you don't go through stuff. What I've prayed is that your faith don't fail you because Jesus recognized that you're going to go through stuff. But if your faith doesn't fail you, you're already halfway to victory. Now, the appetite in the command, let me touch on that real quick. You see, the, the command that the stones be made bread, the first of the three great temptations, is directed at Christ by Satan, uh, was, tempt, was uh, you know, tempting, uh, that involves eating. So scripture reveals a very significant fact. The first temptation given to Adam, which was given to him in the Garden of Eden, and the first of the three great temptations given to Jesus, or the second Adam, in the wilderness involved Yep, you guessed it, eating. You guys are so smart. I just can't keep up with you. It's important for you to realize that the first temptation of Christ in the wilderness contained an appeal to, yes, fleshly appetite, just like the temptation in Eden. Adam and Eve were tempted to eat unlawfully, and so also was Jesus tempted to eat unlawfully. Now, the first Adam and the second Adam were both subjected to an eating temptation. So what we eat is a real problem for us. Our appetite is a bigger problem than most of us want to realize. From booze to gluttony, our appetite causes havoc on our body. Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you, uh, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, controlling your eating habits. It's fundamental in obtaining victory over your flesh. You ought to write this down. Discipline in consumption. Now what you eat either will nourish you or it will make you sick. I tease my wife sometimes when she eats a little bit too much. She'll eat some potato chips. Then she'll eat some ice cream. And then like 10 minutes later she'll tell me my stomach hurts. And sometimes I say oh, I feel bad that your stomach hurts. And sometimes I say well that's what you get for eating all that and stuff like that. That. Now she know I love her, but I'm gonna be real because she did it to herself. Now the pity in the command, though, uh, comes when the, these stones are being made bread. This temptation by the devil gains much strength by the fact that it appeared to be in the best interest of Christ. It looked on the surface like the devil was, you know, concerned about, you know, Christ being hungry. He's trying to look out for his well-being. You know, he's trying to, you know, watch his back. I got your back, bro. Don't worry about it. We, we're just gonna turn these rocks into bread you take care of that and, and, and your hunger is going to be you know taken you know taken care of but you know Christ you know hadn't eaten for 40 days now I don't know about you but 40 days is a long time for me 40 40 minutes is a long time but that's the story for another day Christ had not eaten in 40 days and 40 nights so uh, the appeal of the devil to Christ was that food should be supplied to satisfy the hunger of Jesus. Now, this temptation did not appear to be harmful for Christ, but helpful. But here's the hitch. Let me let you know the hitch. Satan wanted Christ to get bread in a way that was contrary to the will of God. 
you know, some people say, you know, if you're hungry and you don't have no money and you go dine and dash, the, the restaurant should be okay because you are hungry. Uh, you got another thing coming. Uh, but temptation is often presented as being in your best interest. It frequently comes as a friend uh, 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 to the, uh, uh, the tempter who shows pity that for the need uh, that's going on in the life of the person that's being tempted. And the tempter wants to appear as a compassionate person who is really concerned about your need. So he works through your close friends and your relatives, those who would normally have your best interest at heart to advocate conduct contrary to the will of God. Now Peter, who was a great friend of Jesus, on one occasion was very outspoken in opposition to the predicted death of Jesus. Matthew 16, 21 through 22 says, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Now the fact that Satan was uh, behind this opposition of Peter is clear when Jesus says this to Peter in Matthew 16 and 23. But he, that's Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So we see that Jesus recognized that the enemy was trying to work through somebody that was close to Jesus who allowed himself to become an opportunity. I tell people all the time, stop giving the enemy an opportunity to work in your life. Some folk you need to cut off. Now, I'm not saying Jesus needed to cut Peter off because he didn't. But in, this, in, in, in some of the cases that we face here in our present life, most of us are dealing with people or have people in our lives that are close to us that have rejected Jesus. They don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Yet you find it often that you go to that person to get some type of advice on how to deal with something going on in your life. Well, I'm here to tell you, they're going to tell you the wrong thing. So you need to stop talking to them. You need to just get to stepping. If you want to share the word of God with them and they want to reject it, you need to shake your feet, let some dust fall and get to stepping. That's a story for another day. So there's a priority in this command, uh, you know, this command that these stones be made uh, or, or turned to bread. Satan advanced his evil priority in telling Jesus to make bread out of stones. Now, this priority can be seen in many different ways, and I will give you uh, uh, 10 ways in which this priority can be stated in order that you uh, uh, may see the many uh, attitudes in life that are based on the priority to advance the plan of the devil. And these 10 different ways, these priorities, so to speak, can be stated, uh, you know, helps to show how the temptation experience of Jesus is in uh, principle universally applicable to all of mankind. The temptation that Jesus is going through in principle is universally applicable to all of mankind. Yes, that means you too. For it is the priority of our will over God's will. Yes, you have a will. God didn't take your will, but your will should be to do God's will. Amen. Now, Amen. 
This was the basic issue in all of the temptations which the devil uh, directed at Jesus. And it's also the basic issue in all the temptations that Satan directs at us. So let me give you a key. Uh, let, me, let me jump to the end of the book real quick and just share with you a quick key uh, for you to be successful. If you want to be successful when the enemy comes knocking on your door, remember my will doesn't matter. Only the will of God matters. And if I do the will of God, I will never fall prey to temptation that comes my way. Amen. That's the end of the story. And now I'm back in the middle of the book. So it, it was not God's will to make bread out of stones. So for Christ to make bread out of stones would be to, dis, to disobey the will of God. But scripture certainly emphasizes that Christ came. Why? To do the will of God. Matthew 26 and 39. I know because you don't believe me. So I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. Matthew 26 and 39. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, Oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, watch this. Not as I will, but as thou will. Uh, some of us ought to pray. Oh Lord, she looked really good, but not as I will. Let thy will be done. And most of us, if we let the will of God take place in our life, we wouldn't be mad today looking for something else. Anyway, that's a story for another day. John 4 and 34 says, Jesus saith unto them, my meat is what? To do the will of him that sent me and to finish whose work? His work, John 5 and 30. So I, uh, it says, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which have sent me. Ha. John 6 and 38. I'm on a roll now, brother. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Yep, I got another one. Hebrews 10 and 9. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. Second, uh, in this text, you'll see about uh, the will of God. It, the will of God should be the priority of the believer. So the second thing that uh, the enemy wants you to do is to raise your priority or to shift your priority uh, uh, over to your soul. Satan uh, makes the physical need, which is the bread, more important than your spiritual need, uh, which you know is, represents your soul. So it's a temptation to satisfy the stomach by starving the soul. And this priority has gotten into much of the church program today. It is an eclipse of faith, which causes many people to take stake a, a, a great deal more on feeding the poor than on preaching the gospel to them. And which leads men to rate uh, bread higher than the Bible. So when you have a church supper, uh, people come out of the woodworks to attend that supper. But when you have a Bible conference, the attendance is often pretty slim because people's priorities are more on the body than 
and the soul. Father, let my body die that my spirit might live. It's my body that typically gets me into trouble anyway. It's my body that I really need to shed. It's my body that I need to crucify. It's my body that I need to shake off because my body is enmity with God. Ah, uh, but let me move on. Third, it's the priority of, of, of reputation over character. You see, Satan challenged Christ about his identity as the son of God turning the stones into bread would show that Christ had the power of the son of God so this would seemingly help to prove the reputation of Jesus as the son of God but Christ's priority was uh, character not reputation you ought to write that down you ought to put that in the comment section my priority is my character not my reputation you see reputation is what others think of you character is what you are before God reputation is honor before men character is honor before God and those who are more concerned about their reputation than their character will end up with neither oh I'm on a roll now boy the devil is mad at me I feel my second wind coming fourth is the priority of privilege over responsibility you see as the son of God Jesus Christ had many privileges he had some rank and he you know rank always begets privilege and Satan tempted Christ in this bread temptation to emphasize his privilege as the son of God more than his uh, responsibility by using the power or the privilege of his rank as son of God to make stones turn into bread so character will uh, be more concerned about the responsibilities of rank than the privileges of rank. Now pe people will readily and enthusiastically picket and petition and protest for what they think are their rights and privileges. If you don't believe me you have not been watching the news because that's all you see is people protesting about what they think their rights and privileges are and if they would do the same for their responsibilities <laughs> our society would be immeasurably improved the, be, the emphasis on rights does not improve society but only makes it more selfish and hence more sick the strength of manhood does not lie in the assertion of rights which is bred but in submission to the will of God oh I'm more concerned not so much about what I have the right to, but what I'm responsible to. And I've told you in the beginning, my responsibility is to do the word and the will of God. You might not like it, but I don't care what you like. I'm not answering to you. I answer to God. Now, fifth, it's the priority of circumstances over divine command for guiding our conduct. So Christ has some very lean circumstances in the wilderness and, and, and Satan would use those circumstances to justify making uh, bread into or uh, stones into bread but the command of God was opposite to that and Christ wisely heeded the command of God and we too often let our circumstances hold more weight in our life than the commands of God situation ethics is what I call it uh, you ought to write that down put that in the comment section situation 
Christian ethics. Uh, this is a term that uh, often identifies uh, this type of issue. People try to justify evil on the basis of their circumstances. But if you focus more on changing your circumstances than on complaining or complying with the commands of God, you will be easy prey for temptation. Uh, you got to stop worrying about what the situation is and just put your faith in God because God has got your back like no other. Uh, six, I'm trying to get through to 10. Uh, what time am I? Oh, I'm getting close to that, what I call Brian time. Uh, but let me, let me just give you the six. Six, it's the priority of pleasure over purity. Now watch out people of God. This is where we really get into trouble. This is where we struggle. This is where pastors and teachers and preachers across this nation have really poured out to you all this stuff about the prosperity gospel. I put on Facebook the other day my struggle with the prosperity gospel. I had great dialogue with a brother on there in reference to it. Uh, I'm not ever saying that God wants you to be poor and he doesn't want you to prosper because that would not be according to the will of God or the word of God. God does want to bless you and prosper you. But when your priority, when it's more important to you to have stuff that make you feel good over your level of purity, you are in trouble. Now Christ had gone 40 days and nights without food and, and the pleasure of eating at this time well, yeah, it would be extremely great. But making bread out of stones to bring that pleasure would not be a righteous deed. So in advocating that Christ make bread out of stones, Satan uh, said pleasure is more important than purity. And too many people put pleasure before purity. It is holiness before happiness. If you want to have true happiness, it is duty before delight. If you want true delight, the pleasure of bread must give way to the purity of heart if you are to be truly happy. Let me just, I'm just going to stop right there. I'm coming up on, on my time and I, I don't want to wear your pace. I know I've given you a lot to think about today and it's important that you think about it, that you meditate on it, that you, that, 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 that today's Sunday, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then you come back next Sunday ready to move forward with point seven uh, that's dealing with priority. And I even give you a tidbit. It's the priority of self. <laughs> Watch out over everybody else. But I'm going to touch on that next week and, and, and we'll finish this. But I want you to understand something that's vitally important to the life of the believer. The devil wants to take you out. Don't make it easy for him to do it. Some of us need to have the Buster Douglas attitude when we're stepping in the ring with Tyson and say, I'm not going down without a fight. And the easiest way to our victory is always to fulfill the will of God. Let the will of God be your guide. God bless you. Heaven smile upon you. Hopefully, you are enjoying an amazing 
independence cookout with family and friends today or tomorrow and we're praying God's blessing over you but just before we um, close out this is first Sunday and we want to share communion with you we want to take an opportunity I wish that I could go into you I wish technology was such that I could just beam into your house Scotty beam Scotty, well, it ain't there yet, but we're going to get there one day where I can just beam into your living room and share with you Holy Communion, this meal that Jesus said, please don't forget this. In everything that you do, please remember this. The Bible declares to us that the same night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when they had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. As often as ye drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. It's so vitally important that we remember what Jesus did for us. He is our redemption. He is our life. So I celebrate God I share with you this communion as best I can in our current situation. But I thank God for those that are here in the studio with me, for we now will depart from you and break bread one with another. God bless you. May heaven smile upon you and grant to you great peace. May Jesus be your portion and his will always be your guide. Have, as a good special friend of mine says, a fantabulous day. <laughs> Praise the Lord.